Cheers, brother. Dear friend, friend and brother, brother by another mother, as our friend Dave Fierro always says. Cheers, man. Mm. I have I have a confession to make though. I'm drinking tea. I know, I know. It's a coffee shop conversation, and I probably should be ostracised, if not exorcised, for that, or definitely excommunicated. But even so, here we are. And so I'm. Let us talk. And this time, unlike the previous three coffee shop conversations, I would much prefer not to dominate the conversation. Now, I know you could, you you might be argued that that I'm constitutionally incapable of doing that. That you could. <laughs> Certainly, Olivia, if she if she were here, would say yes, that's true. Um, but no, so I'm very happy to talk. I was thinking that it'd be really nice to talk about, or have you talk about, what you are trying to do in physical alchemy and the work that you have coming up and the various workshops that you've got coming up, because unlike just a simple hit on a website where you know you've got a verbal description of what it is that you'll be offering, it's much better to hear someone talking about it. And I thought, well, why not? We've got a very good audience. We've got a huge audience. Um, and you will be teaching later in Europe this year, I believe, at, yes. as, as, in, as indeed we will be as well. So why don't you why don't you take it away from there, Roy? You remember Roy and Ashley, don't you? I do, I do. I'm okay. Australian. I yes. know Roy and Yeah, same, same. I love those two. Okay, off you go, Roy. Cool. So, at the moment, very interesting things are happening. <laughs> a, li- a, little, a little munchkin just ran through the back of the shot. That's beautiful. She's happening. Yes. She is, she is part of everything. Seeing yeah. that the grower is part of everything. Yes. That's very funny. Uh, so, yes, I'm writing at the moment a very big article. It's almost 10,000 words long. Good. And the last maybe six articles have finally got the... The flavor I'm trying to get across of this this thing that's been building in the four four years since going to Sydney, it's been interesting and difficult to articulate at some points. So it's getting very very close, and I'm sifting back through all types of experiences from my past, including of course the study with you. And one of the things I want to pull up today, which I've been talking about, is that kind of very nice bunch of topics around ideas of like body work of this nature as a craft mm-hmm. tradition more than more than an academic tradition yes you're involved in that of like apprenticeship journeymanship mastery all of these theories go into it yes. um, and what I have noticed with my work as it stands at the moment is if you really want to do it it's pretty much impossible to teach it other way, any other way. And I think from what I actually learned from you, that aspect of your work, it was the same, which is why I feel blessed to be able to actually have that experience over what is seven years. So yeah. you can go yeah. to a workshop and you can do wonderful things at workshops. And I've seen you particularly do very wonderful things at workshops. And that is one branch of the method, but then it will not produce the same result as if you do long, not quite as intensive, but long, like, titrated out drops back and forth, back and forth. Yes, there's a period where it seems like much is happening, like, can be months even, and then there's periods where, bang, like, there's a rapid acceleration and evolution. <laughs> back she goes. It happens with kids, actually. That's very interesting for me watching. So, Sophie will go through both physical and mental leaps. There probably is some 
some background of this in the literature. I haven't looked it up at all. But she will. The funniest thing was first as a baby, she would get fat, mm-hmm. like she get all like chubby, fat, and you go, ah, you're getting all, like chubby little fat thighs there. And then literally overnight, she would yeah. just like, and she'd be longer. Like yeah. it's a little bit like when you stretch someone's hip flexors properly, and you can tell they're taller. And I did a little bit of a like quite like not well constructed experiment, but people are like a few millimeters taller. But when you're used to dealing with these people, it seems like the impression is, whoa, like massive growth. Well, it's can just, I, it's so may I just interrupt you there to comment on that point? Because that's what you've raised there is something that is absolutely fundamental to our work. And that is, you just said, they may have only grown a couple of millimetres or a few millimetres, but, and I'm paraphrasing you here, but the impression when you're in front of and witnessing and experiencing this person is that they've grown hugely. And that's actually happening energetically, I believe. And so the, the, the actual metrical measurement of their height is actually a very poor way to actually look at that change much much more dramatic and of course much harder to understand and much harder to quantify and and much harder to reproduce is the actual experience of standing in front of someone who has just had their hip flexor stretch radically because they are different and you can feel it uh, yeah and this is also what i've noticed in mapping particularly with craig and fred who are they've done apprenticeships with me they would say so i would say so it's longer more in depth and just as in that occurrence in the short term, there is a, the gestalt is very different from the metrics. Mm. It's the same over time. You can tell very much that they've changed, but then people from the outside sometimes cannot tell what exactly, but we are coming into some very interesting parameters for that. Mm. Very experimental. It's part of what I'm actually keeping for the book I'm writing at the moment. Mm. It's just not known. It's just so so new, but so exciting for me. So mm. this is what I've been doing, training with those guys and some of my other wonderful students, which is a small, intimate group, and very fascinating things have happened. But how, how does one talk about it? And so that's what I'm trying to do in each subsequent article. But it's really... Uh, it's better to allude to it in a lot of ways rather than try to explain it because it would just, people would it would hear the words but they wouldn't get the actual impression, they would interpret it through their own experience when a lot of times what I'm talking about is something that is a new experience that you actually have to have and then look back upon rather than look from where you are at. So <clears throat> this is why these intimate personal mentoring relationships are necessary because it takes time and you need to actually work upon the lattice in which the person is interacting with mm-hmm. reality. It, it is a, it's a, a simmering process or a cooking process um, is, is the good analogy, don't you think? Um, I do. Look, a, a few, of course everything that you said just brings up so many points to talk about, but let me begin with something. We've got, we're having a shed built today, and it's, it's a, a magnificent shed, and I've been watching. I, yeah, I'm a man. We have to have sheds. Um, but it's not that. It, it, it's going to be Olivia's shed too. But what is what this? what I want to talk about now is exactly the journeyman, craftsman, 
way of learning things because of course the guys that are building the sheds themselves were apprenticed they are roofers by trade and so they have an amazing set of skills i watched for example one guy this morning had this device on the end of a drill which is a set of shears which are driven by the drill and he cut a perfectly straight line down the whole length of a sheet of corrugated iron. Now, to our listeners, if you've never handled that material, that might not sound like a particularly stunning feat. But I guarantee you, if you tried to do it, or I tried to do it, the line would be anything but straight. And it actually takes years of constant paying attention to your actions and the feedback into those actions that the actions produce and how to correct that and refine it so that it actually becomes what you want. In this case, a straight line. One of the things that is, in my opinion, unfortunate about our culture is that what I'm referring to as trade skills and what you and I might refer to in an apprenticeship relationship as a whole suite of skills which do not yield well to being spoken about. And in fact, on that, just a little aside, on an aside, words are extremely blunt instruments. I'm writing an article, a blog article about this at the moment, but once you verbalize something in the act of making something specific through choosing what you think is the most appropriate word you've you've already eliminated and discarded an infinite number of other possibilities and one of the fictions of our culture is that things can be reproduced and discussed and talked about effectively in the way that we're talking about a process that we would probably call transmission for want of a better word and in fact the it is simply it's a delusion and an illusion that words can capture that stuff I'll give you give you another example i volunteer with marine rescue as you know and i've spent a lot of time out on a medium size and decent size craft in big seas often because basically we only get called out when there's a problem there's someone can't get back to shore or their engine won't start or whatever anyway the point is this there is a whole group of um, TAFE-trained captains in marine rescue who who literally know everything there is to know about the book side of being a good ship handler. They can tell you. They recognise, for example, all the different flags that mean different things in the shipping world. They recognise... They can tell a North Channel marker versus a West Channel marker and all those kinds of things, all that stuff. They can all do that, of course. But the point is they know it from that more academic perspective extremely well. The older school captains who were piloting boats, some of them have been doing it for 30 or 40 years, and who have absolutely no formal qualifications whatsoever, these are the ones I'm seeking out to work with. The book stuff I can get by myself and probably faster than anyone else, probably, because that's the way my brain is wired. But I recognised straight away, just like this guy cutting the straight line in the corrugated iron, those skills simply cannot be transmitted via the written word or the spoken word. They just can't. You have to learn how to feel these things. And it's the same. Both of those examples are perfect examples. And so, and this is just such a beautiful thing. I was out with one of the skippers, the old world skippers the other day, and I was asking him, so when you're in a big sea, try to tell me what you're doing. And he just looked off into space. This is just making me shiver to think about it. He said, have you noticed that every wave is different? Now, actually, I had noticed that every wave is different. There are no two waves the same, ever. And then he said, you have to feel each wave and this is the goal he said you have to be one with the boat I thought 
What a perfect description. Now, what does that mean? It means that the the boat and you are, I don't even want to say two halves of a whole because it's nothing like that, but the boat and you are connected in some way that cannot be analysed verbally or logically. And what's more, you're reading this constantly changing waveform and you're making adjustments so that the boat goes through those waves in the most graceful and elegant way possible. None of those things can be reduced to a formula. They can't be reduced to when you're crossing a big wave, make sure you're heading at 37 degrees across it, not straight up the face. It's nonsense to think like that. Anyway, so this is the kind of stuff I've been learning from these guys and harking back now to your own apprenticeship relationships, not to mention our own, it is a long process of osmosis where for long periods of time it looks like nothing's happening, as you said. And of course, of course it is all happening, but, but we're yeah. not, you can't articulate it. You can't write about it in any way that will be convincing. Well, actually, not so much that it won't be convincing. No one will actually learn anything about what you're learning from reading what you're writing about what you're learning. That's the point. You actually have to learn it yourself. And you know, our teachers have said this, the Dharma can't be taught. It can only be learned. And so even as a meditation teacher, all you're really doing is giving people the instructions, a sort of a recipe, if you like, follow this, do that, breathe this way, do something else, sit like this, and then do nothing and just wait to see what happens. And that's the part you have to do yourself. And why, Dave, why is that style of learning so undervalued in our culture? Kindergarten teachers and people who teach these skills at TAFE and all of the sort of lower end compared to, say, university or... Um, you know, university lecturers say compared to kindergarten teachers or somebody studying at a university versus studying at a TAFE, we have the we have the pyramid the wrong way around. I think these skills need a much higher valuing to be given to them. I think not to mention financial reward as well. Anyway, so this is the process that you and I are both talking about at the moment, and I. You said journeyman slash craftsman. The, the, the old-fashioned relationship is um, mestro, they talk about in Brazil, or maestro, they talk about in, in spiritual work, a maestro and an apprentice. This is how it works. And then, of course, you've got the other problem, which we've talked about already in one of the other coffee shop conversations, which is, well, how would you recognise a good teacher if you came across them? So, yeah. This is a big, off big you, part of it. Off you go. So that's very much along the lines of what I've been <coughs> considering too. I think for me, one aspect that separates, so you can go along and you can find very competent teachers that are teaching physical skills, let's just say in physical, of course you can. But to have what I'm making up another term that I like to do, physical repatterning work, to be able to teach that, it's actually a destructive process as well as an additional, like, yes, they're teaching this method. Let's say they're teaching stretch therapy. You're going to learn about stretch therapy. And I will say, even though uh, you mentioned this a second ago, like, there is this weird flip with the theory and the practice, your ability to, your talent for the research actually was part of my apprenticeship too, because you would say, don't read that book, read this one. And then I go, ah, oh, that's just saved me thousands of hours worth of running around in circles. So if if you can get that too, it's nice, but the practical is is where it's at. 
the destructive process is if I actually look at what I learned from all of my teachers, like all four that I've been blessed to have, it's largely destructive in that it's an unraveling of misperceptions on my behalf. Yes. Built up over time, and then that's what gives a ah, and that's what brings a lot of the knowledge to life, even the theory to life. Like, you've had this well, you've read it, I understand it, I understand it, I've written about it, I'm. I'm quite good at understanding it, and then something happened, and, oh, fuck, I didn't understand that, really, like, I didn't really hit. Yes, I could, I could know the outside sketching, but it was, it was a black and white pencil drawing, and now it's got colour in it. Yes. I think that's one of the essential features, is the ability to skillfully destruct, but, but not in, like, destruct is a violent word, but in a skillful and slow process unknot, un unravel what the student has learned that is holding them back from actually experiencing it. Here's a softer word possibly and I think it's an accurate one. How about deconstruct? Because what I've noticed is that and, 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 and Buddhism talks about this all the time, the, the illusion of the self now, I mean, you and I both have selves. We both have distinct personalities. They're, they're different. Um, I have a license, um, a heavy vehicle's license, and you've got a license, and we are described, you're described as living at your current address, and I'm described as living as my current address. And one of the delusions is this persistence of identity over time. But when Olivia and I were talking last night, for example, we had a long extended conversation about this and many, many other things, we realised that the two people who met 20 years ago, it's a long time, just like the, the people that, that you and I both were when we first met, they're nowhere to be found. They've left the building years ago. And yet, just the same, I still have my name, you still have your name, Olivia still has her name. And one of the, the real traps and Buddhism speaks about this as well, is to fall asleep at the wheel and actually believe that the self that you think you are is actually what you are. And so when you use the word uh, destruction, if you, if you rephrase that as deconstruction, then what it is, it's actually an unravelling, as you say, or a, an unlayering of the illusion of who you are and what you are. I mean, spiritual work is just this, nothing more than that. And we and one of the one of the the, the the traps along the way, and why and why you have to find a really good teacher, someone who is completely selfless in this regard, is that that destructive process, in fact, has been used by many bad teachers throughout millennia. In fact, you can't open a book on on spiritual work without seeing some reference to some guru who's crashed and burned, and it's always the same things they crash and burn on: money, sex, power, always. That doesn't change and what we're really what that is playing into uh, the great likes and dislikes of all human beings of aversion and desire they're the they're the things that we're playing with all the time in our own construction and reconstruction of ourself as well and so when you do get to work with a good teacher and you know I've had this experience too all of a sudden you'll realize and it was, it's a shocking realization I mean it's a, a shocking to the absolute core realization shit, I'm not who I thought I was at all, I'm something else. And then, actually, I don't know what it is that I am. And that is, in the Zen world, that's keeping a don't-know mind, as you know. It's an, And it's not something you can just pretend or fake. 
you know, you know what I'm saying. The, there are so many, there are just so many levels of subtlety in this. So I'm really a massive fan of what you're trying to do. And, and so I think deconstruction and reconstruction, but without there being an agenda, that's the difference. It's also the word repatterning comes Re- into this. Yes, of course. Um, I also think like it's not uh, what what you just touched on for me is actually something I've very seriously thought about in the last few months is justice. Like if not particularly uh, just kept within the spiritual realm, all types of teachings that have any power, physical towards anything, attract this. And it's what I've noticed is actually this very difficult line you walk in that the Western people when you see certain structures like this, I know I had this in my very first training, it's like very much hated like any type of like dogmaticism or the idea of putting myself under anyone's sway or anything like that was incredibly like repulsive an idea. Mm. But that will only keep you in learning on a superficial level for a lot of time. You cannot actually do an apprenticeship unless there is an authentic sincerity, not to like completely give yourself over and become a servant. It's this paradox between the states where you go, okay, I accept this guy who's in front of me, like, kid, when I met you in the young days, it's like, this guy, like, how did he get to that place where he is? It just didn't even make sense. Like, how could someone get there? And I could see, and I, I, I took my time assessing what was happening, it's like, yes, he has I was got there. somewhere. I, I remember that process. I was yeah. being tested. Prod you a bit, hope you see how he responds to certain things. Yeah. And then finally I went, fine. Like, I, if I don't actually dive into it sincerely, probably like put aside what I consider, I did have to put aside a lot of my strong opinions, and sure. some of them disappeared, some of them got changed. That's what, that's what it's about. But I actually had to open myself to that happening which was somewhat difficult coming from the no you've got to like the other way like you've got to do your thing so I think this is it's something that needs to be constructed again possibly with fail safes in some way because these things go wrong all of these things are a problem for sure in many realms but there's also like like with great potency there's great volatility and risk as well but yes. like there's the great potency is still there man like it's still sitting there yes. you will never get as good as you can get a learning experience in that style of learning if you hold back from it but again if you dive into the wrong one that's a terrible thing as well so what do we do about this and luckily i've just stumbled into four incredibly good ones in a row so i have somewhat of a like each successive one gives you a ability to, oh, now I'm going to go and learn this. And I know from those other two awesome teachers I have what to look for. But it's like we're talking about, like, but what is that like? Do you, yeah. I might have to sit down with you over a very long time and see if we can sketch it out one day. But yes. it's it's a little bit like seeing the difference of someone after a massive static experience. Like you can see it clearly, but then and you can say some gibberish about what it is, but you actually have to experience that to take it forth in time to the next occurrence let me make one comment on something that you said Um, I want to put it in slightly different words I 
We say this on workshops quite often. I, w- I will say at some point, because uh, I, I can feel the energetic resistance to things that I'm saying in any student who's part of a workshop, as you know. And I feel, I mean, it might sound um, hopelessly arrogant and vain to say this, but you've been in a workshop where I've done this. I might have 30 people in the room and I can see straight away the person who is resisting the ideas. And so I will talk about something, I phrase it like this, if you find yourself in your mind saying, yes, I know that, or oh, I don't agree with that, I've got a different idea to that, your learning in that moment has just stopped. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot learn when that's the, the, mm, the, the stance of the mind, if that's the position of the mind and the perspective that the mind is bringing to the learning experience. So what we're really talking about, and you didn't use this word, but in and and one of the problems with this word that I that I want to use is that it has all sorts of connotations of excessive passivity, and so mm. no one in the West uses. It. But the, the word that I'm talking about, which all the scriptures talk about it being absolutely fundamental to the learning experience, is surrender. Now you know yourself. I had one of the world's great surrendering experiences when I was in intensive care that time for ten days, mm. and I remember my brother coming to visit me in hospital. And, you know, from Greg's perspective, I mean, it was so funny now that I think about it. He said, why aren't you fighting this thing? Do you remember me telling you about that? And I just laughed. And I, I said, there's no fighting the hand of God. I said, this is a big, massive, gigantic force coming down. And the only response in that moment that allows any possibility of survival is complete surrender. Now, in the West... We have a deep aversion to the idea of surrender because it implies that someone else is going to take control of you. No, it's like, this is the article that I'm writing at the moment, our, the, our culture and our language's propensity for dividing things in half. It's either this or it's that. No, surrender doesn't mean giving over control necessarily. It means opening to a force that's larger than you. It doesn't mean that you can't then structure that, um, all the insights that might come about as a result of that interaction be reincorporated into your functioning self and all those sorts of things. And the trap, the trap of the logical way of looking at things is that the mind presents you in anything the fiction, the complete illusion that it is a choice between this on the one hand and that on the other. And Dave, you know this, that is never true. You know, you know the little adage that we use on the workshops all the time. It might be true to say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And remember? And, and I would always say, as far as that goes, that's accurate. But in our system, we can contrive to make the horse thirsty. A completely yeah. unexpected option not able to be generated when you're only considering this and that and the whole of our political system the whole of our thinking system the whole of our interaction with human beings unfortunately is from my from my perspective deeply corrupted by this delusion that there are only this there's only this and that i'm writing this blog post at the moment i'm having a very difficult time with it at the, of course i'm having to use words to describe i mean you know, the, it's <laughs> Very difficult, but very, very fruitful. You know, actually, this might sound strange, but the reason I use the words auspicious and suspicious and inauspicious a lot, besides just fucking around and having fun with it, is because that's a triad 
Yes. And not a binary. No, look, I'm with you. I, but I'm but, also but the, the dyad is so deeply rooted in our in all of our structures. I mean, yes. I, again, I just come back to politics because it's the most egregious example of this. You know, you have the left and the right. Well, please, that's just so lame. But but the fact is that is a physical reality in our country. Anyway, so but we can do better and. Remember, I've told you my personal philosophy many times, but this is a, another um, reason or another opportunity to trot it out because I was reading this morning uh, an interview with uh, Scott Ludlam, the Green, um, I think he's a senator. Excuse my ignorance, I don't follow politics very much, but he did say something very interesting. He said, the Dalai Lama's personal philosophy, and I've heard many different renditions of this, but he said it's to do service or to be of service and to be happy. The, the Dalai Lama, when I've heard him speak, he was asked what, once by a, a naive attendee what his religion was, and he said, and this is, to me, this is just stunning, and I was smacked in the face by this idea, he said, my religion is kindness. Now, what can you say to that? Isn't that beautiful? So, um, my own personal philosophy is do some good, have some fun, and a distant third makes some money because we live in a capitalist culture. You have to pay for the rent on your apartment. I have to pay for the, this new shed being built, etc. Et you know all this stuff. But the do some good, that is absolutely the most fundamental motivation for me. In fact, I'll, let me just speak about Death is on my mind at the moment because my mother has dementia and she's in an aged care home and she, she doesn't know why she's there and all those kinds of things that will happen to all of us one day. And I'll be visiting her later on this afternoon. But she said to me, and this is another blog post in the making, she said to me, I don't want to be here anymore. Why can't I just die? Why can't I gather all my friends around me and family? We'll have a bit of a party, she said, a bit of a party. And she said, then I'd just like to say goodbye and leave you all. And that is what's so wrong about our current system is that an intelligent person, my mother's hugely intelligent, even though she has dementia, and of course the lucidity comes and goes just like it does in a child. I mean, maybe children are actually lucid all the time, but they're, they're, you, you get the feeling that their presence comes and goes all the time. Or better, better to say, the better illustration would be their emotional state goes up and down like a yo-yo. One minute they're screaming and crying, the next minute they're deliriously happy, the next minute they're solemn, you know. But they're not attached to any of those things, so none of it's a problem. Well, dementia, I see, is exactly the same. My mother will be in tears one second about how unfair it all is and what did she do to deserve this and I just move on to another subject and the next thing you know she'll be laughing and happy. None of it's real. So, um, why did I bring up my mother? Oh, death. Um, In myself, if I... If I find, and this day will come, if I find that I'm no longer of any use to the group that I'm in, the, the shifting groups that I'm part of, that will be time to say goodbye. No problem. That's one of the other things. Death, death in our culture is completely hidden. I mean, the, the thing that's most obscene about death in our culture is the art of the mortician, who makes a dead person look as alive as possible. Now, how fucked up is that? Quite. And, and and 
lying lying in a coffin, you know, probably in a more luxurious bed than they've ever had in their in real life. Because because now that they're dead, people are actually going to open their pockets and hearts and actually try to do something <laughs> for the person that they had no time for when they were alive, right? But family yeah. members, I'm thinking about in particular here. And um, and they've got rouge on their cheeks, and you know their 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 veins have been filled up with some embalming fluid, and all the flesh is plumped up, and they look so relaxed. I mean, I've seen that so many times. I've seen quite a few dead bodies, as you know. But what happens then? This, I mean, whether you, if you're at the crematorium, then you know solemn music plays, and then the little conveyor belt is is activated, and the, and the body just disappears, and a door comes, and next thing you know, there's the rushing sound of gas and flames and so on, and then you're presented with a little urn. That's the transition. The transition happened behind closed doors. Or is a funeral any any different? No, most of the time the coffin is closed, right? So you've got this box where the image of the loved one is inside, and it's lowered slowly and ceremoniously into the soil. Yeah. Blah blah blah. What's wrong with that picture, Dave? Please. Yeah, we don't deal with it very well in this culture. It sinks in the back of our minds and we don't think about it, but still it creeps in and poisons us. I did a lot, like in my, like quite young, like all the way through high school, it was a theme that I, that I overanalyzed completely, which doesn't do anything for it other than just stew you in your own juices a little bit suspiciously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just kind of that has repatterned for me and that was a very good thing to just not deny, not push away just it's there it's there like it's, it's, a, it's a fact of life death is part of life the way of the samurai is resolute acceptance of death mm. according to Hagokure that wonderful book written in the 16th century and, we, and which is much quoted in one of my favourite films, um, Ghost Dog. I'm going to have to watch that again soon. Oh, it's marvellous. It's right, marvellous. I'm going to yeah. take it you back a second. When you were talking about surrender before, one of the things that I actually wanted, or that I plucked out of stretch therapy and wanted to explore, was the fact that if you have a big release, like I've had a few memorable ones, the biggest and most memorable at first was with you sitting on top of me, which was very fun <laughs> but if you if you see what's happening like you, once you have so in the article I'm writing I have a few different depths of the type of stretching as you'll see, I won't go into it now because it'll take you long but sure. the first phase is just when people are exploring around you know, like beginner, intermediate level classes, da 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 Getting some like, oh, this mechanism, wow, it's, it's actually the everyday miracle that you can get more flexible, blah, 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 blah. Yep. And then at some point you run into like some serious character armor, like big resistance, like there it is. You work on that for a while, like you heat that up, you heat it up a lot, um, and it, it melts and you have like a, it is an alchemical thing, like solvent cranial, like you dissolve a pattern there, and then there's a period of what the fuck is happening, and it can be very little, like it can be like a 24 hour thing, or a bit longer, or whatever, but you dissolve that, and then you, like you mentioned, you reform, and it's really no problem, some, let's take, let's take tension as a physical opinion, some bit of that has been changed, and it's the same process, I would say, or very similar, analogous process, through the mind, and the emotions, you have 
beliefs, opinions, tight hip focuses on the mind, and you work on them, and then it's painful, and then they resolve a bit, and then it's actually okay. And I think, no, not even think, like this is part of my working method. <clears throat> when you learn to actually do that physically, if you do it in the way that is deep enough and paying attention enough, it transfers domain into the rest of your life. Uh, complete, that, that's com- completely. About the whole system. That is the most interesting thing of my apprenticeship with you was that you can take solvent quagga on the physical body and it penetrates into the mind and emotions yes. and you change very slowly though. It's not like a it's not like dropping a few tabs of L S D and having the world dissolve and then something goes back. It's very slow. But it's because of its slowness and the like fermentation of it, it's permanent. Yes. Not you can't have permanent quick, but it's there's something about it being slow that is really effective and offensive because people don't like the idea of trading for seven years to get something. No. Look but the, that's what, what what there are just so many things in what you just said. But let's go back to this idea of surrender for a moment. Resistance when we talk about resistance in the mind or the body, they're actually the same thing. Resistance is simply resisting what is. Now, I mean, that doesn't sound like anything particularly deep, but it's actually everything. Tension is simply resisting what is. Surrendering is simply accepting reality, not passively. Not passive. That's the other thing. Always the surrender thing has this passive thing with it as well. It's nonsense. We we open ourselves to experience what's actually happening now. This is this is the and in time, and it takes a long time, and certainly it's not a permanent change with me yet. And I've been practicing these things for a very long time now. In time, it simply becomes your stance in the world, open to what is. And, and Eckhart Tolle, in his book *The Power of Now*, speaks about this eloquently. That's the whole. That's the beginning and the end of his system. I took my wife to see him two days ago. Ah. <laughs> how and how was he? How was it? The experience. It's it's very cool. Like he goes, it was. He's actually way more funny in person than I thought and it was amusing for me because a lot of people who go to see him are of the kind of like passive surrender let's say type Yes. and he was quite like like cutting into like being a victim and identity and he was very funny in his body language when he gets the dharma flow happening he's very funny so yeah it was it was a weird date to take my wife to, but she really likes it, and Fantastic. I had a great time, and I sat there and watched a man talk on the seat for two hours, yeah. and she, but it completely wrapped, because that's what happens with those things, it's just, continues, he just starts, there's no questions, he just talked for two hours, I had a great time, and present, you, you and had a great time, I saw it, I was like, oh man, you know who would have loved this, Kit would have loved this, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I did actually see him um, working one-on-one with someone in a coffee shop in Vancouver once. Um, I think I mentioned that to you. No, I, I, I knew it was him, but, but he was working, so I didn't want to interrupt him and you know, go over and talk to him. That would have been the ut- ut- 
most it just would have been hideously crass. But I was tempted. I was tempted. <laughs> well, um, he obviously likes coffee. You'll have to have more of these things. We, oh, wouldn't that be great? Well, we just we just um, shut up and listen to him talk. Uh, interestingly, you know, his own personal his own personal story I find extremely interesting. Uh, he was a, he was doing a Bachelor of Nuclear Physics degree, I think. I think it was a bachelor's degree, or it might have been a higher degree, at the university that he was, where he had his transformational experience at. And he, now let me take a step back from that. The Buddha speaks of four types of students, and I've only made this connection when I was teaching the last time in Malaysia with Patrick. So this is, might be something interesting for you. One type of student naturally is attracted to and skillful at the techniques of Vipassana. That's type one. Type two is the student who is skillful at the techniques and practice of Samatha. That's my particular skill. There are the third group of students who are skillful in both and who move between the two as the Buddha spoke of the two wings of meditation, or the bird of the bird of meditation needs two wings to fly. But then he said there's the fourth group who need to experience the great doubt. Now that's exactly how the Zen practitioners talk about that. And that's exactly what Eckhart Tolle went through in that dark night of the soul that he described so eloquently in The Power of Now. And so I don't know why I brought that up except to say that for some people their path will not be a sort of an on-off 24 hours of hell followed by the rest of your life living in the light kind of thing. That's an extremely unusual experience. And also the number of people who have those transformational uh, Zen type experiences is also relatively small, I think, in the spiritual world. But But it's a very powerful technique. But the people who are on the Vipassana or the Samatha paths or whatever particular form of meditation you practice, or perhaps it's a blend of those two things, I'm not sure. But, and Lauren spoke about this eloquently, many people simply plug away, do the practice, plug away, do the practice, plug away, do the practice. They don't actually experience anything changing in any deep or powerful or radical way. It's just that people start treating them differently. People will report things to them about themselves, which they're not aware of perhaps yet, but before that, before the change has solidified in some way. In, in, my, in my experience, the, the changes that have happened inside me, the few small changes that have happened inside me, have been very much of that incremental type. But of course, as a, my, one of my spiritual names in an earlier life was Dharma Vera, the hero of the Dharma, and of course I wanted to siege it, I wanted to put as much... As much power and force into it as possible of course I had that knocked out of me very quickly that was very funny, that was a dead end for me, but for someone else it could absolutely be the right path, so look I'm not really making any big deep point here except to say that one's own unfolding in however way one wants to talk about that and whatever that looks like now I'll take another, take, make another aside, Olivia was talking about this last week and she said, and I'm, I'm really interested to hear her talk about this because, and it's important I think to raise this, she said, because she's been exposed to many of the teachers that you and I have been exposed to and none of them really took with her. But there's all sorts of different reasons for that. And so she said, I'm only interested in practices that make me a better human being. I thought, ooh... That's very cool. That's really powerful and a wonderful thing to say and to be clear 
about. And I can see all those changes happening in her. And she actually remembers Lawrence's stuff better than I do. And she probably has a better recollection of his exact words than you do, possibly. I don't know. But the point is, we each, and this is the absolutely essential thing that, again, our education systems just disregard completely, how do we find our own way into this material? It is yeah. only by exposing yourself to the friction, um, the resistance, to feel your own resistance and then to feel in your own body how to actually let that resistance flow through you. It's only by that direct experience that you can find the, a way that is going to be effective for you. Yeah, I, I see things even on a physical level. So a lot of my physical transformation, transmutation has happened Tick, 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 tick. I've, I've been to workshops with you and other people where people have these amazing, like, physical transformations. All types of cool things happen. Like, I suppose I've had a few modern ones, but some people, like, just, they just turn up for their first thing and it happens. There's a lot of different possibilities. I actually quite like my nice little slow build. If I look at my life recently, like, week to week, month to month, things are very quick. Seemingly nothing happened, but if I look like three months or six months to six months, it's really like, whoa, things are working. And the, the, the perception of time is very weird and that I will see something that's happened a year ago and it perhaps feels like five or six years. Yeah. Whereas like, for instance, if I think back to us training, also it seems like not very long ago. It's this weird, everything's getting shaken up. It's pretty cool. Well, but one, one we of the... It just ticks over. Well, here's the thing, you don't have any choice. Yeah. And so that, that that's I mean I, I in in when I was first exposed to meditation and all the possibilities that, that it in, it talks about, of course I wanted to do the I wanted to have a dramatic and radical transformation. And then you know, uh, this this is this is such a an egotistical perspective, isn't it? I mean, that's what that's what's so funny. It's so funny, and of course, because I wanted that, um, nothing happened. And that's again that paradox that we're working with continuously. That will never change, I don't think. But having said that, I work with one teacher who said, "Look." If he, and of course he didn't have any choice himself, but if we had a choice, we don't have a choice in these things at all. He said, in his view, the slow and steady, unexciting, undramatic, incremental way is, is the, in his view, the best way. Having said that, I had a student, you might recall, who's still quite active on the forums, who had the most remarkable transformation um, internally that I have ever seen. He literally, it was like watching um, ice turn into water vapor he literally and it was and the whole interaction between him and I took I think you might recall it it took maybe 10 minutes and I showed him in a, a very dramatic and physical way how his belief about himself was completely false mm. completely false and he just had this moment of literally shaking complete discombobulation and then he went outside you might recall and filmed himself doing half a dozen reps on each side of the thing that he was absolutely certain he couldn't do only one minute before and his 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 state literally changed in that instant and he is such he is so happy now 
And I, I admire, I admire him very much. He's a very fine human being, and again, he's doing good work in the sense that he has devoted himself to teaching the kinds of things that you and I are both interested in. He's a very helpful kind of person. Yeah. All, all of that just manifested all by itself. How lucky! How lucky we are! Seriously. Yeah, I think the physical stuff is very beautiful in that way as well. Like in this instance, mm. I wasn't there, but I obviously know the story and the person involved. But because there is that, like, I mean, you could do it. Like, people are very able to do these things, but it's very hard to delude yourself with physical things. Like, yes. If you squat down or you don't, you pick up the weight or you don't. Yeah. Like, this, like, with stretching, it's a little bit different because you can be yes. in the position but not be feeling anything or feeling incorrectly or feeling partially but with certain physical things it's very clear and that's that's a profound thing which is another reason I'm innately drawn to teaching physical things obviously and I love it and I always have and a lot of what I've been doing is simply being and this is what physical art is about resolving for myself and then internally and then externally the fact that I've studied from physical to spiritual and everything in between and scientific and alchemical and there's actually no contradiction at all for me. Yes! No! It's simply simply how you make humans change or more importantly transmute because transmute is always a positive change. You can transmute badly and that is interesting. We should actually look or I actually look at people who have gone inauspiciously because that's also interesting but it's not desirable but mm-hmm. it, it's this transformation the the slow or fast or whatever it is just change of the person it's fascinating it really is the only thing i wanted to study i started at uni in the life sciences which i found to be dead <clears throat> but at university i found chris and you people who were actually they had what i wanted and it was this aliveness it's this training it's Many different perspectives entertained, but it's all actually just about the same thing. Yes. And funny coming back to the, the languages, but how do you actually write about this in a like way that the language doesn't facilitate the experience of this and the teaching of this? Well, that, that's what we have to do. We have to translate. <laughs> yes, and you've put your finger on the very reason why I decided to focus on the physical stuff myself as well is that in our culture people don't regard being changed physically as any kind of either imposition or any kind of intrusion into their psychic space and as i'm as i've you've heard me say in workshops many times in order to bring about the conditions for trans transformation or transmutation we don't need to know about your relationship with your mother or your potty training. We don't need to know any of those things. And the reason is that the residue of all experience is in the physical body. And Wilhelm Reich said this first and best. He said, he said neurosis is identical to muscular tension. You might remember that. It's, it's, it's an extraordinarily prescient thing to say. And he is now credited by people that are historians in this area as being the, quote, father of the 200, approximately 200 schools of bodywork that are on the planet today. But, of course, he wasn't the first person to say this, and I'm sure Taoists had been saying it for thousands of years. And also, too, you could read that into one as being one of the virtues for yoga and its, and its insistence on certain postures. 
Anyway, but leaving aside the way yoga has changed into a kind of what it is, what it is today, but leaving that aside. Um, let me speak just for a moment about this residue of past trauma in the physical body because when we talk about people's resistance to being or to getting into a particular position the aversion that the mind experiences to the sensation in the body as the body is stretched to a certain point the body I should say the mind wants to recoil from that experience because that experience is is intense and strong. And in the beginning, particularly with beginners, but this also continues throughout a person's life, but when you get to the edge or the end point, wherever you are on that spectrum of range of movement, you're literally, as you've heard me say before, we're literally looking into the abyss. And it's terrifying. People don't talk about that normally, but in our classes, you might remember, we we used to say, look, if you don't acknowledge the elephant in the room, you are deluding yourself from the get-go. When you start to work on your own resistance, which, of course, that's what spiritual work is all about too. As you say, it's all one piece, just different ways of looking at this problem set. When you start to work on your own resistance, whether it's physical or mental, and I would say they're the same thing anyway, the body's response is fear. It's the fight-or-flight response. And every cell on the planet exhibits this. If you have an amoeba on a Petri dish and you poke it with it or just prod it with a... Um, those, what do they call those sharp things that you prod amoebas with? You know, well, it's not a pin, it's a finer thing. That, But anyway, what happens is when you poke an organism, a human being or an amoeba, the response, the fundamental response is to recoil or if you're a human being, it's to adopt a protective posture. No one, in the face of threats or stress, becomes open, longer, more relaxed. It's the opposite reaction. And so when we look at people's... when we're working on people's physical bodies, we're looking at their whole lifetime. You've, you know, we talk about this many times. When a person... when you meet a person for the first time, one way of considering them is to consider the shape and form and function of their body is nothing more than a map of all the forces that have acted on them or haven't acted on them up to the point you meet them. And, this is the beautiful thing about that, everything in that equation up to a certain point can be changed if you know what you're doing. And at least in this limited area, I think we can say that we do understand something about this now. But that's just the beginning. That is opening the door only. That's just creating a crack there. And then you can go to town. I mean, I find it immensely exciting. The reason I'm still doing this kind of work, and and again, we've spoken about this before, is because the, the human condition, if I can put it that way without sounding too pretentious, is an immensely interesting and complicated phenomenon. Yes. And if the, if the Dalai Lama's right, and to be of service and to be happy is actually our job, then we need to understand something about this. How? And this is what your work is about. What techniques, what tools, what conditions can we create so that this kind of change might occur? And remember, it's not a guaranteed thing. What did Aiken Roshi say? Or was it Suzuki Roshi? I can't remember. Um, the the entry no, of, 
the entry of was it the entry yeah. of grace is an accident practice makes you accident prone that's the best way i've heard it described yeah what you just mentioned is with the fear is very interesting to me so what i'm looking at particularly i study let's say stretching with you i've got a suite of very fine stretching exercises i've developed some in my own way because I like to play around and mm. it's fun, like it's cool to have two students going at once. It's the fact that stretching is some, so it will develop some types of base level qualities, suppleness, tension, flexibility, but it will also, it leads itself to, to getting some of what you could say deeper qualities. Mm -hmm. It's very, very good at that. Mm. It's also simply the way I studied, I studied with you, I thought it. It's an amazing tool, I'll use it. It's also, like I said, very good at these things, but let me think about it a little bit as I've been doing, and I realized that a lot of things have a base level, like strength training has a base level, like martial arts, parkour, as I wrote in my last article, you're never gonna learn about combative timing from a stretching class, no. but timing is a type of quality that is good, rhythm is a quality, these deeper qualities can be trained in parkour, when you're up in the trees, if you're ready for, mm. on steel, like, that's insane, like, the, the, the fear of breathing, like, you have to exercise when you're looking down from a unsurvivable drop, like, for me, that's, that's crazy, but in that little, like, if you're a very good teacher of that, like, you could go from just being a parkour teacher, for instance, and teaching people how to do the moves, to really, like, doing what I'm calling physical repatterning work, yes. the ability to work on these deeper qualities in people, and martial arts teachers, all good martial arts teachers do this because you're dealing with anger and fear and pain, and if you do it properly, the person, they change, because yes. these things that were very difficult for them to deal with, they're, they're transmuted by the training in a, in a safe, in a like hermetically sealed environment, they're dealt with, but then they will go out. Like, yes. You've noticed, like people who are who train in martial arts and it works, it does, it does, it's not only like makes them better at fighting, but it makes them better at, at these deeper qualities, the rest of their life starts to become a little bit easier. They chill out a bit. It's not as big a deal if this thing goes wrong. It's, yes. this it's not obviously 100% domain transferable, but I find this, this, the idea of transferability of training so fascinating. Like, Particularly, like just physical training, but how far can you push the envelope from just physical, like in just physical? How far does that envelope go if you really can teach yourself well? That's that is that's why I do what I do. I, I, you know, that the work that I've been doing with Patrick has been changing the way I think about my own work, and mm. and the way I teach it. Excellent. Um, it's so powerful, uh, and I really only found the voice the right words and the right voice and the right way of doing this the last time I was teaching in Malaysia, which was last December. I spent all of December teaching in two different monasteries in Malaysia. And so I'm letting that percolate. I know you appreciate this, this term. Um, because I, I do want to write about this eventually. It'll be the next book that I write will actually be about this way of working. And I would not be in any way surprised to find a remarkable number of parallels um, in our work. And yeah. it has been so useful, hasn't it, for us not to work together but still communicate with each other. Yeah, 
it's, it's the perfect, and it's what I want out of anyone who I would treat as an apprentice. It's, I, I would be feeling very poorly if they just copied what I did. Oh. Like, that's, that's a failed apprenticeship. Yes. That is, they may come, like, and we may have a big joke, or we all meet and go, fuck, I discovered that as well, but by this pathway, like, but that's, then you really know something. But the, yes. it also opens the possibility of if we have from the same same root or mm-hmm. same trunk, different branches, if we come at different, very interesting things, then we can talk, and then because of the common thread here, like that's a very fascinating thing that can happen, and that's what I want to do. And new things can come out of the kind of dialogue that can only occur when those branches have actually been constructed. I completely, completely agree with that. And that's that's why... The information and communication between uh, two people who have, let's say me and you, we've worked very intimately together, we understand a lot of these, and then we have followed different but similar streams, we can still communicate much more effectively than I would say most people because we've had the shared thing, particularly because I took off my hat and put on your hat yep. for a bit. And it's it's this type of network I feel has so much power like for people to, to bump ideas like this. I agree. Um, and so let us let us sum up what we've been talking about, um, and this is probably a very good place to end for today's talk. I, what we're really talking about is, and I don't recall reading this anywhere, but what we're really talking about is we are discussing the mechanisms of the teacher-apprenticeship relationship. Yes. And a mechanism sounds like a very, for some people that's a very reductive um, mechanistic approach but but the more that i learn about these things the more i realize that it's one of the conceits of our culture is that we discount those mechanical reductive skill-based technique-based things in favor of a higher more theoretical perspective but i'm going to insist that unless you have mastered those base level skills you are just deluding yourself and you will never be able to construct any theoretical perspective that's worth a damn there's something about the ability to do both. I mean, your your mind works in a reductive way much better than mine, and mine works in a pattern-seeing way very yeah, well. But beautiful. I also understand, yeah. like, there is a need to do what you do sometimes, and there is a need to do what I do sometimes. Uh, it would yes. probably, probably be better if we were someone in between both of us. Right? But, like, you can buffer for what you have a, a propensity for as well. Yes. Or... We can work together, which of course... Yeah, we can just like, you're good at this, I'm good at this, let's dialogue. And I think, yes. talking about the, what Olivia said about being a better human, I think, why can't we? Like, me, you, like Craig, all these other guys, like, we can have a, a different level of human interaction with this stuff because we're actually interested in, in doing these things for themselves, not for an end... Uh, other than that, really. The, the way I would put it, Dave, and I agree with you completely in the way that you described that, I would simply say that as a result of the practices that we've been doing now for a very long period of time, we are simply more open. We are less rigid about what we think we know, less rigid about what we think 
is important we're happy of course we do there are certain things that we both think are extremely important but unlike most people who who hold to a didactic position because of what they were taught or what they learned or or simply they're defending their ego in the process and and you've seen this and i've seen this in you if someone challenges or questions us i always consider the potential worthwhileness of of a criticism that's coming my way because i'm actually interested in growing and this could be something that i might be have been completely blind to seeing in myself i'm particularly thinking of some of the conversations olivia and i have had recently and that's gold but if you're open you don't resist this if you're open i'm not saying that it's always going to be pleasant not at all but if you're open, then you the capacity to transmute, you, to use your words, everything into gold is actually possible. It's there. Yeah. This this is gold. That is the gold. It is. It's the same. It's so funny. It always, for me, is the basis of all stretch therapy is you find, and by proxy myself, you find the tight bit. Yes. You don't find a body, like you find the tight bit and then... Yes. Apply method and change it. It's the yes. same up into the opinion sphere. Like where yes. is your tight opinion? Yes. Where exactly. is your tight like block on this? Like? Yes. No difference. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Oh yeah. Shit. Well, I think I think that's probably a good spot to end for today, and I need to prepare lunch for my partner anyway. And we've been talking for about an hour, and that's a good length of time. So I'm yes. going to say, I'm I'm just going to say that I'm extremely grateful that. Uh, you are my apprentice for all of that period of time, and I really, really, I can't, I can't say more than that. And I'm and I'm grateful that relationship is continuing, and and honestly, there are there are great things down the road. I am sure. So let us pick this conversation up another time and I will hopefully have written, hopefully finish off that blog post by then and we'll have something concrete. You can criticise the shit out of it if you want to. It's no problem. That's hey, we'll, a, both, we'll both have something. Because I find it's probably going to come out in the next 24 hours. So. I, I will, I promise. Okay, my hey. friend. Talk, talk to you again soon. Listen, stay on the line. I'll just do the formal thanking you and I'll, I'll stop the recording. Just hang on a tick. <laughs>